When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. I am the titular Sean, Sean McCabe, and with me is my lovely co-host. The very titular Carrie. Uh, yes, the very titular Carrie Ferrante. Uh, and uh, Carrie, what's this show about? What are we doing? Well, I think this show is going to be all about just weird stuff, a lot of unexplainable things. We're talking aliens cryptids, true crime, and we'll probably come up with uh, varying opinions on a lot of different things. Yeah, uh, yeah, th- that's kind of why we decided to sit down and do this, because we are, uh, well, we're betrothed. We're, uh, that's a, that's a peak, uh, a peak up the kimono. Carrie and I... Don't! Then you made it worse, somehow. Carrie and I are, uh, are, uh, engaged to be wed. Um, peak up the kimono. <clears throat> Ew. And, uh, but we definitely have very different takes on, uh, especially the paranormal stuff a lot of the time, unsolved mysteries in general, where I think you're a little more, uh, open to stuff, to possibilities and, and viewpoints and, uh, and things like that. And I, um, am a jerk who wants to see, who wants to see evidence and photographs and touch things with my hands, uh, or have a guy in a lab coat tell me that it's real. Sure. Um... Yeah, I mean, I grew up really open-minded about these things, really interested in all of it, uh, especially when it comes to the paranormal and the occult. You know, I'm not like a some sort of witch doctor here or whatever, but I think I'm very interested in, in learning about all these things. But you're a little witchy. Um, I would say I'm pretty witchy. Yeah. So So this episode, mm-hmm. uh, we wanted to kick it off with some uh, local legends. Right. Mm-hmm. So we're from Connecticut. And uh, we both grew up here. And I think New England is very unique in its history and its legends and things like that because it's, it's the first real point of entry for uh, people coming over here and settling America. And, you know, when you go to Europe, uh, there's, oh, this castle's from 1200, and that's pretty late, you know. Um, but when it comes to America, you get the 1600s and that's really it so that's the oldest you're going to get here and new england's full of that full of old history uh caroline why don't you kick it off what did you uh so we split this up we're going to kind of go back and forth and mm-hmm. uh, uh shoot some of these at each other um so today i think we're gonna have to skip over two big topics that a lot of people probably have heard of when it comes to connecticut um that's the warrens so Ed and Lorraine Warren, the Conjuring movies are about them. Um, they're from Connecticut. They're from Monroe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, I think they weren't an episode all their own. Yeah. Carrie's number one hall pass is actually just a threesome with Ed, Ed and Lorraine. Ew. <laughs> Not in real life. 
Um, no, no thank you. Um, so Connecticut has also had its own witch trials. Uh, way before the Salem fiasco that we all know about. So we'll also probably tackle that separately in Connecticut witches and that whole mythology. Mm-hmm. But right now... Yes, that's what we're not covering. What are, yes, what are we covering today? We are diving into all different urban legends and mysteries and mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to start off... Uh, with one of our most famous home state myths, and that is of the melon heads. We love the melon heads in Connecticut. We love them. They're very fun. I mean, you'll you'll find stories about basically the same thing, melon heads, in um, Michigan, Ohio, some other states. But do like, they, do they call them melon heads? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. But here, it's it's real big. And they have their own Connecticut specific mythology. Yeah. I mean, I feel like from state to state, it's probably very similar. I bet. But, so... This is just class. This is what Cub Scouts tell each other around campfires. Exactly. It's a campfire story. Especially if you're in the woods, um, in the dark, and scared already. It's definitely a good one. So, according to this legend, um, the melon heads are humanoids with bulbous-shaped heads that live in the woods... And attack any unsuspecting passersby. Why do we have to throw shade at their their head shapes? Well, that's bulbous heads. Well, they're melon heads. They're not, you know, lemon heads or orange heads. Those guys would be freaks too. Anyway, it's true, but they're known for their big heads. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So one version of this story in Connecticut claims that Fairfield County was home to an asylum that burned down in the fall of 1960. Um, All of the inmates and staff succumbed to the flames, except for around like 10 to 20 of the patients. They uh, they made it out. Mm -hmm. And they supposedly survived and escaped into the woods. Okay. I have a question. Maybe maybe you're getting to this. I hate hate to interrupt you. Mm -hmm. Are the bulbous heads, are the melon heads... You're really stuck on that. Is this... Is it a result of the flames in this version of the story, or do they just have big, like, crazy what, like person the, like heads? flames turn them into, like, the the gushers people? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But, like, yeah, like, like huge scar tissue, freak no, heads. No, I, I don't think so. You think they just have crazy skull? Uh, crazy skull? Yeah, that's the medical term, right? <laughs> These are just, you know how cra- they're, the, the, this legend yeah, rests upon, crazy you know skulls. how crazy people have big heads, right? <sighs> Is that a thing? No. Um, I think it's more like you know how crazy people have big heads. Yeah, but I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that they do. I don't know if that's uh... no, but that's part of the legend for some reason. All right. Um. Basically, the melon nogginned melon heads uh-huh. uh, are descendants of these escapees. So I, oh, no. I think the, yeah, I think the initial ones were just like regular heads. But well, maybe the, they all had like slightly larger heads, but over the generations, sure. the melon heads of uh, the inbreeding has, oh no. Well, the, the people who escaped from the burning asylum are said to have resorted to cannibalism and inbreeding to stay alive. There were only 10 of them. How could you do cannibalism and inbreeding? You're really 10 cutting... to 20. Okay, but you eat two of those people. Uh, now you've got only 90% of your population left to, to do the inbreeding. 
You're just making the problem worse, is what I'm saying. Oh, listen, I don't think they had a plan here in this story. Like, well, maybe we should have this percent, we'll eat, this percent, we'll, we'll bang, and, uh, and we'll make more. Well, you have to, don't forget, this is the, this is, they've turned in themselves into a society that has lasted generations out in the woods without any help from anybody. I have to imagine someone can do math. That's an interesting concept. Here's another uh, question. Is it cannibalism if a melon head eats a human? Yeah, I mean, they're still humans. Okay, so the... They're not really made of melons, So you the know? cannibalism they were resorting to could have been eating just uh, uh, Cub Scouts. That might have been it. Um, there's no specific... But, you know, they, they do say that they attack any unsuspecting passersby, so I think part of it is that they're going to come out and they're going to eat you. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was always given, like, not explicitly said, but the implication was their diet consisted mostly of Cub Scouts. <laughs> I think that was in your mind. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so so the, the escapees, they resorted to cannibalism somehow. They resorted to inbreeding, obviously how. Wait... When are we to believe this escape, or fire and escape happened? 1960. 1960? Yeah. That's what the legend says. Okay. That's okay. what one of the legends says. Okay, here's my next question. Yes. Who did the inbreeding? Were these brothers and sisters who were in the mental hospital together? Or did their children then, for the for the third generation down, or is that where the inbreeding has taken place? I don't know. I'm just saying, we haven't had enough generations to, to really, for the big heads and stuff, to set in. I don't know, ma'am. I mean, that's just that's just one version. So. Oh yeah, give me the other one. Give me the real the yeah. real story. Well, in that version, basically, they're descended from those people. Uh, they probably have some psychoses that they inherited from their parents. They roam the forest of the state until they want to pop out and spook some uh, trespassers. Oh, they're just spooking. Well, or eating, you know. It depends on the version of the legend. As, as you do. So, um, some other accounts differ by saying it was a campground or a prison or another creepy kind of place that burned down and people survived in the woods oh, after that you, i don't know why you do that if you were a campground right you just like go home but i'm just trying to get to the bottom of of why in the legend the skulls are so big and if they weren't even from an asylum now we don't even have crazy skull to, to well play. there is one version that really kind of explains it in a way let's get into <laughs> it um basically the melon heads are scions of a colonial family that were banished into the woods after accusations of witchcraft. So it's basically the plot of the witch, um, yeah, okay. but with melon heads. Okay, but with melon heads. <laughs> yeah. And but, but how does that, you said that explained the large heads. Well, if it was just a family inbreeding oh, sure. since the yeah, colonial okay. times, then I think that would kind of make more sense. Yeah, that one tracks. Yeah, a little bit. Okay, I think that's the real story. Okay, all right. Um, so throughout all of these versions of mm -hmm. the legends, mm -hmm. uh, there are two things that stand true. Talk to me. The humanoids developed this appearance because of inbreeding, somehow. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and yeah, not since 1960. They did. Listen, no I don't think whoever's telling this story in the woods has like a <laughs> biology degree or something. Well, the other one uh, that stands true throughout the legends are that the humanoids are also cannibals ready to prey on anyone who crosses their path. Well, let's be honest. There is no point to the story if they're not cannibals ready to pounce on whoever crosses sure, their path. Sure, then it's just a tragedy, right? It's yeah. just people with um, deformed heads mm -hmm. wanting to be alone. Mm -hmm. it, it's, and that's not a, a fun, spooky legend. Yeah. Yeah. This shares a lot of the similarities with V for Vendetta. Huh. It's really just the fire, I guess. <laughs> and the de deformity. And... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, there are different locations in Connecticut that they have been pinpointed to. Oh. Yes. The Melonhead sightings? Yes. Supposedly. Uh, so accounts vary as to where these places are, of course. So it could be in Trumbull, Milford, uh -oh. around Lake Mohegan and Fairfield. Um, okay, now hold on. That's, you, you, your aunt walks her dogs there all the time? Well, don't call her out on here. <laughs> <laughs> we don't, they, don't, they don't know who the aunt is. <laughs> Uh, yeah, saying, I mean, we, Lake Mohegan. Should we be concerned about? Uh, we we know a lot of dogs who walk over there. Should we be concerned about melon head attacks? Yeah, well, we we've been trying to take Poe off leash there. Oh, Poe's our dog. I don't know if we've mentioned that. Um, maybe he'll be attacked by a melon head if we keep doing that. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe he will. Maybe he will, but that could be. A good... <laughs> Why are you saying it like say, Levy? Yeah, well, it could be a good kind of growing up experience for him. You want to expose He's five. Your... He doesn't need to grow up by being attacked by a melon head. He's technically middle-aged, and I think he should get to know all kinds of different people. <sighs> well, these places are nicknamed uh, Dracula Drive. So all of these streets, they're called Dracula Drive. I don't know why. What do you mean? Like, by in whom? the legend, I don't know. It's like... They, they live on Dracula Drive. Oh. <laughs> I searched... I searched Google, you guys. So, so, I searched the maps wait, wait, of these wait, places. Wait, 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 there wait, is wait. no Dracula Drive in Connecticut. The canonical home of the Melonheads. And yeah. this tells you a lot about the... the um, I don't know, the audience for this story, right? Mm -hmm. the, the home address for the Melonheads is Dracula Drive? Mm-hmm. Love it. Um, there is one actual street that they've kind of pinpointed it to. Um, that's called, I think it's Velvet Street or Velvet Lane um, in the Trumbull area. Okay, hear me out. And I don't want to sound like a broken record. Who's they? It sounds like children around a campfire <laughs> who think Dracula is spooky, and uh -huh. so are people with big heads. Yeah. I mean, I can't fault them on either one of those. Well, that's not nice. I people with big heads aren't spooky. They're just different. Different is spooky. <sighs> well, that's the whole plot of this legend. Different is spooky. Um, I think we all learned something there. Mm -hmm. So Velvet Street, Velvet Lane or whatever is is a real place. I've been there. I've driven down. Um, Looking for melon heads? Well, I've just driven down just to see, like, why is this so spooky? Why is it called Dracula Drive? Mm -hmm. it, it, it would be spooky at night. I would say that. 
ha- like half of the street, so one side is all woods. Is it a cul-de-sac? No, but it's like it's like one of those streets through the woods that are around here. Mm-hmm. Just surrounded by woods. The other side are houses and things like that, but um, they're not as closely packed as they would be in the suburbs. So, and there's no streetlights. Like, I went during the day, but I could see it being pretty dark and, and ooky spooky at night. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you're a kid going out there, you're making up legends about it, I guess. That's a falling body upstairs. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of, uh, I think a melon head just tripped and fell over up there. At first. That big old head dropping <laughs> on the ground. Um, yeah, so there's a place in Stratford where you grew up. Yeah. That is supposedly Melonhead territory. That's Roosevelt. Roosevelt Forest? Yeah. Oh, of course, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then that's where the Cub Scouts would camp. So this, I, I have Absolutely. a very personal connection to this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you go out to Scoutland out there in Roosevelt Forest. Uh, that's where there's a bunch of lean-tos that were all Eagle Scout projects. and uh, no, Those are Melonhead houses, um, Sean. No, no, no. And we knew those weren't the Melonhead houses because that's where we would stay when we were there. Uh but boy, you stayed in Scoutland after it got dark in Roosevelt Forest because you knew some melon heads were out there trying to do some cannibalism and some <laughs> just, incest. Just, just trying to do some cannibalism. Yeah, yeah, that's what they do. Would incest be a threat if you're not part of, like, would they just make you watch? <laughs> it, doesn't that sound terrible? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it doesn't sound great. Yeah. I wouldn't be a fan. That's no, child abuse. <laughs> it's very accusatory. Um, so, yeah, apparently... Apparently, some of these streets in these towns that are Melonhead territories, you know, the legends around there, they're really referred to as Dracula Drive by the by the people who live there, like a little nickname. By the children who live there. Probably. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. I've learned so much about Melonheads. Oh, you're about to learn more? Oh, no. Um... So we don't really know where it originated, right? We've both kind of come up with, well, it's probably like a Cub Scout story and that seems most likely yeah although it's you said it's in other states too they talk about the melon heads yes yes um specifically michigan and ohio Mm -hmm. so could it have stemmed from someone in the days of your seeing a person with a disfigurement and just making up like a weird mythology about them you know some sort of cruel legend by a child i I could see that Mm -hmm. mm-hmm mm-hmm um, I did look into the asylums in Connecticut, and there are none that burned down specifically in 1960 or at all. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there are some now defunct nearby psychiatric facilities and prisons that could account for the association with the landmarks, which would include Fairfield Hills Men- uh, State Mental Hospital in Newtown. Ooh, we love that one. Yeah. Um... So, I mean, that's pretty close to all of these places, the the Trumbull, Milford, Fairfield area. Yeah, so you're saying it burned down and there was some kind of a government cover-up? No, it was like decommissioned in 1995, but you could kind of weave it into like, oh yeah, they were from Fairfield Hills and they escaped. I'm weaving, I'm weaving. Yeah, but there's, there's no mental hospital in this state that ever burned down while operational. Hmm. So... That's well, um, disappointing. Yeah. Uh, so there are some stories that 
are about, quote, deformed country people mm-hmm. all over America and probably the world. Um, it's a common legend. You could look at the X-Files. There's a, an episode called Home that's very similar vibe to this story. Um, it was actually banned when it first came out, which I think was the only X-Files episode to ever be banned. Um, and it was about melon heads? It was about uh, an inbred family murdering people who trespassed on their property. That's the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Well, that's one of them, too. Where the hills have eyes. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, you got the, the mutants in the mountains sort of thing. Uh, it's a it's a popular trope, you know, deliverance. It's like, oh, the country people are going to get you because they're not as sophisticated as we are. Yeah, mutants and mountains is one of my least favorite role-playing games. <laughs> Um, so honestly, I think it's, it might be just a combination of fear of the unknown with fear of the ill, because I think the most pervasive thing about the legend is escaped mental patients, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, with huge heads. mm -hmm, So they're like, obviously different than us. Um, whereas most mental illnesses, if not all, are, are invisible illnesses, right? Like, you can't see that someone has depression or bipolar disorder or any of these things, but this kind of others them and makes them different because it's less scary in a way, I think. If you're, if you're afraid of mentally ill people, especially if you're making up this legend in the 50s, 40s, whatever, mm-hmm. um, it kind of puts a, a brand on them as being different and, and somehow wrong. Well, finding some depth, Carol. Well, I think that's that's kind of what this whole thing is about. Um, back in the day, people didn't understand that you couldn't catch mental illness. And so, in a way, they, they made it catch them and and hurt them by eating them with these, these people with uh, melon heads. So I think it, it's just a case of someone... Sometime was was out at the grocery store grabbing some food or whatever, had kind of a big head, looked a little different, and some kid made up a legend about them and it just spread. One of Scotland's most notorious unsolved murders. To think that someone could turn a cheese wire into a garrote and take someone's life. The level of violence, the uncertainty, and the randomness frightened people. She always thought the killer was going to come back after her. Society needs to find that killer. Who is the Cheesewire Killer? Listen to the Fool series now, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, there is a really interesting theory that I found on a really good website, which is called Damned ct.com oh yeah we're gonna be drawing on uh, damned <laughs> ct for for a lot of the stories on today's it's just episode. the best um and by, by the way possibly next week's episode because uh we are going to run long here there's no question sure so the the term melon heads according to this theory mm-hmm. could be a bastardization of the name and i don't know if this is correct melungeon or melungeon i don't know if it's like french um, so this was a term... How's it spelled? M-E-L-U-N-G-E-O-N. G-E-O-N. Melongeon. 
I would assume, if, yeah. if it's French, right? I don't know. Um, but this term traditionally applied to numerous tri-racial isolate groups of the southeastern U.S. and Appalachia. So uh, these people were generally known as descendants of free people of color, though their ancestry and identity has been a highly controversial subject. Um, and they tended to be outcast for their racial backgrounds and ended up keeping to, them, to themselves for obvious reasons, because you don't want to hang out with a bunch of assholes who make fun of you. Um, so it's possible that there was a group of these Melungeon peoples uh, living quietly and independently in the backwoods of Connecticut with facial characteristics that inspired racism and cruelty. And because we fear what we don't understand, they may have become melon heads. Melon John, melon heads. Um, they might just have looked different and they made some weird backstory about them. And the, the it was all invented to just fill out that backstory. Wow. Um, I want you to know there's, there's not going to be anything that I do today that is as well thought out as that. <laughs> this wasn't my theory. I'm not going to illuminate anything with that kind of clarity. Uh, I thought we were here to make fun of some dumb stories, and that was really good work. Well, it's it's true, and I think it's it's actually a very interesting theory, especially when it comes to where urban legends come from. And yeah. something like this, uh, it's all about being afraid of what you don't understand. Mm-hmm. I love it. So... There are several similar legends to this one in just Connecticut alone that are not like specifically melon heads, but are like weird looking people that live in the woods. <laughs> okay, so we got the banana heads. We got the, <laughs> the pineapple heads. Yeah, all oh, the pineapple heads. Um, it, this state isn't exactly known for being populated with country folk or known for its like rugged wilderness. Um, I don't know. If you go up past... You know, uh, really up past the valley, you kind of do get into farm country, and, sure. and eventually, it's a lot of overalls. But, but this state isn't known for that, is what I'm saying. No, but I think that's it's a not ster- a, it's not a stereotype of this state for in general for people within the state. Sure. Yeah, but I, but I think this state is stereotyped as Fairfield County, which is where we live. Um, but like more of the landmass of this state is like. Like, rural farm country. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's it's another one of those surprising things. Whereas, you know, this state isn't all wealthy, and this state isn't all city. And that's, that's one of the um, surprising things about being here. Um, so, one of these different-looking peoples uh, are the Danbury Frog people. So this is kind of more pinpointed to Danbury. Ooh, get into it. Yeah. So <laughs> they've been mentioned in the book Weird New England and even in an issue of the Fairfield County Weekly back in 1998. So I don't know if that's, that's still like um, a paper, but that's like an actual paper around here or was. So the book Weird New England quotes the article from Fairfield County Weekly saying... It is said this mysterious family lives together on a decrepit compound not far from Bethel's center. Even venturing into town from time to time, we hear, for the occasional shopping trip. So they're not as 
uh, scary and introverted. Yeah, they're the, shopping. Yeah. I, I think for like soup or something, like food. I don't know why I said soup. Because you assume that frog people eat liquids, Carrie. Go That's ahead true. and say it. Go ahead and say it. You're a <laughs> racist. I am. I am. Um, so these humanoids were described as having oversized lemon-shaped heads. So we got the gusher thing going on again. Mm-hmm. Uh, with eyeball, uh, eyeballs on the sides, like a, like a kind of like a frog. Wait, these are deep one hybrids. Sorry? This is H.P. Uh, Lovecraft has a. Oh. Um, uh, well, did did those hybrids have crusty lips and wide mouths? Definitely wide mouths and possibly crusty lips. Ugh. This is a horrible thing to like. Point out. Have yeah, yeah. Uh, and they also had sunken noses with slit nostrils, so like a Voldemort situation going on. Yeah, I think this is a deep one hybrid. Well, their hair is also patchy, and their bodies are thin and gangly. It's said they are hermits who don't take too kindly to outsiders on their property. Um, but considering they are called the Danbury Frog People by outsiders, I, I can't really blame them for wanting to keep to themselves. This is amazing. <laughs> I, need, I need you to read. Listeners, you too. Uh, read The Shadow over Innsmouth, and then, you know, you suffer through a lot of flashbacks within flashbacks within flashbacks and stuff. It's it's a really weird, uh, pretty long short story, but uh, it's about exactly what you just described. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, they are, like, the hybrid children of, of generations <laughs> of, of uh, uh, fish monsters having sex with people. Great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there are... Uh, are another group of people that are kind of referred to. And I, I found less about them, but they did exist, uh, you know, during like a quick Google for cryptid wiki or whatever. Well, let's get back to the frog people for one second. Are they still around? <laughs> when was that? Um, the reporting on them in the Fairfield County Weekly was in 1998. Okay. So presumably they haven't died out. 20 years later, we could still have some frog people out there. Yeah, they could be hanging. All right, well, if any of them are listening, if you're podcast listeners and you've stumbled <laughs> upon this, if you want to come on the show, uh, we'd love to get some frog love on here. That's... It wasn't, it wasn't sexual. Okay. Just, you know, frog love. <laughs> so the next group... I don't want them to come in here and spawn. <laughs> Go ahead. The next group... Are the faceless people of Monroe. Yeesh. Yeah. That's like a spooky concept, right? Is um is not having a face. Because I think we as humans were trained to look for faces in everything, even if it's not people. Yeah, the man in the moon. Right. Faces because you see it, in clouds. It helps us identify with things and, and other people. Mm-hmm. So I think that's probably uh, part of where this came from. So these are also a family, and they are so-called mutants that live in a farmhouse in Monroe, Connecticut. Now, they apparently live with an old caretaker who works in the yard and often chases away cars. So I guess I feel like you don't have a face. You need some help with things. I, I, wait. <sighs> I need to know what they are. Tell me about the... They're faceless people. What do you mean, they're faceless people? (laughs) They're described as having pale skin, colorless lips, 
bumps for noses, holes for ears, and stretched membranes where their eyes should be. What? Mm-hmm. How many of them are there? It's, it's a family. And they have an old caretaker. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Uh, the windows are boarded up. The light of a kerosene lamp can occasionally be seen through the caretaker's window. A kerosene lamp? Yeah, he's old school. What town is this in? Monroe. I don't know if the Warrens got in on this or not. Well, this doesn't sound like it. This isn't a cryptid. Same, same with the frog people, by the way. This isn't a cryptid. It's just some people with a sad condition living out there. Well, I think that's the answer to all of this. Is, is someone with, a, with some sort of medical condition that wasn't really understood and made fun of by kids and, and they made it spooky because that's fun. So... Theories on these folks, they could be aliens. Wait! <laughs> Just dropping that these are the right fa- on the you. faceless men? That would be Poe. Hey, buddy. Are they aliens? No. Are you asking me? <laughs> um, Just kind of like pitching that concept. Okay. I mean, I... Hmm. Don't you feel like they could just be people with like weird genetic stuff? I think so. Yeah. I'm just saying what other people have pitched. I see. Um, they could be products have from... You, have you looked into in the, like, kind of alien... Um, alien conspiracy theorist cosmology? Is is there a particular alien you think these people sound like? Like, are they reptilians? They seem pretty docile for reptilians, I See, guess. the thing is, you know, a lot of the time when you're talking stereotypical aliens... Are they greys? Well, that's the thing is like, okay, they have the slits for noses, got it, but they don't have the big bulbous eyes. They have no eyes. Right. Yeah, so gray, what's the deal grays, there? Greys have a significant like amount many, of face. <laughs> too <laughs> big of eyes. They're not faceless. Yeah, they have a very notable face. Very recognizable. Mm-hmm. Um, so they could be a horrible experiment gone wrong. I don't know what you'd be doing to make people faceless, but that's, that's a theory. What do you think the, it was, if that was the experiment gone wrong, what was the goal? Snake people? Like a big Harry Potter fan wanted to make some Voldemorts? Just a big Voldemort Well, I think family? this legend comes from like before the days of Harry Potter, so. Okay, so he was also a time traveler. <laughs> well, that's a whole different backstory. Uh, so no one knows who came up with this or what the deal is. That's basically as much information as you'll find. So from the, the first stories of the Men in Black, started in Bridgeport, um, as well as the reported most haunted house in America. Right, but we will do both of those in future episodes. Sure, but uh, just saying, like, it, Connecticut has... Tons of versions of popular urban legends and unexpectedly originates a lot of them. Um, so what's the next one, Sean? Uh, I am going to get get us right into the Remington Arms factory right here in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Ooh. We'll be right back with more Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. And we're back, Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Sean McCabe. Carrie Ferrante. And welcome back, guys. Uh, okay, so like I said, uh, we're going to get right into the Remington Arms factory. 
and its supposed haunting or possession or curse. Uh, <laughs> Just any of any of the above. As it's been labeled over the years. Uh, the Remington Arms Factory here in Bridgeport is uh, often cited as one of the reasons that this our home city is uh, supposedly one of the most haunted cities in the country. Mm -hmm. I just saw it on a couple top ten lists while I was researching this episode. Um, I've never seen a ghost here in Bridgeport, uh, but there's no question uh, it's a scary city sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, well, it depends on where you are. Uh, It sure does. So, uh, the Remington Arms, is it haunted? Is it cursed? Is it possessed? Let's try to get to the bottom of it. Uh, The factory was first opened in 1867, just after the end of the Civil War, by the Union Metallic Cartridge Company. Uh, The conflict may have been over, but uh, the United States was going to need a lot more bullets on the way to the Pacific Coast, and uh, many, many more in the World Wars to come. Uh, That factory, though, was uh, pretty quickly sold to Remington Arms Company, and uh, you know, of course, of course, you know Remington if you've ever heard of a gun. <laughs> uh, and they, uh, being a much bigger company with much bigger uh, funding, expanded that to a 73-acre complex that uh, still sits uh, in Bridgeport today, uh, including the 250-foot or so shot tower that is a pretty recognizable landmark here in Bridgeport. You know that site well, Carrie. Yeah, I mean, you you pass it all the time on the highway. All of the windows are busted, things like that. Mm-hmm. It just Boy. looks like a mess. Yeah, it, it is a mess. It's been abandoned since uh, 1986, I believe. Mm. Uh, or maybe Remington got out in 1986, and a few other uh, companies have used parts of the grounds since. But uh, right now, today, it stands well and completely abandoned. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, I haven't been able to confirm this with independent research, but a photographer at work told me that you can buy that land for $1 uh, if you'd like to. Uh, you knew you wouldn't want to pay the property taxes on it, and oh. uh, in order to do anything else with it, you'd have to do like an insane amount, millions and millions of demolition. dollars worth of, um, not just demolition, but getting all the lead and asbestos and stuff out Oof. of the ground and being mm-hmm. able to build anything else there ever. Uh, so yeah, it's probably just going to sit as it is for quite a while, which maybe is an okay thing if you like spooky stories like these. I mean, I think it is kind of still surprising that no one's taking it on, especially since they're trying to beautify the city, things like that. You could put something else there that's not as haunting. Anyway, that big old factory, the one we see there today, was built in 1915 uh, by Remington and in that same year. Uh, They had a uh, strike. Some workers went on strike, and about 100, this will be interesting uh, for you, Caroline Ferrante, um, 100 Portuguese workers. uh, I know Ferrante's not a Portuguese. Yeah, like you said it like... (laughs) (laughs) Um, Gary's mother is Portuguese. A hundred Portuguese workers uh, were rioting and, uh, uh, you know, things got pretty violent. Protesters grabbing at guards and uh, one guard ended up clubbing an 18-year-old Portuguese worker named Frank Monti over the head, and uh, poor Frank Monti died. Why would I... Uh, <laughs> so, oh, your people are involved in this thing, and one of them died. Is that why I find that interesting? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> the, the, port, the Portuguese were, uh, were you know, uh, you're, you're a fiery people. <laughs> Gets us killed, apparently. You can't, be, you can't be holding the Portuguese worker down. 
There's still a lot of Portuguese people in Bridgeport. That's very true. And restaurants, too. Very good restaurants. Um, so poor Frank Monty was hit over the head uh, in this uh, clash with the guards and uh, and was killed. Uh, that's an early death for the factory in the 20th century, but it certainly wouldn't be the last. But nonetheless, it did keep growing, and for the first half of the 20th century, Remington Arms uh, right here in Bridgeport was one of the kind of uh, main economic drivers for the area. It employed 17,000 workers there. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, it wasn't without its little accidents. Um, two men over the course of, uh, over the course of time, two men, two different men fell into smelting pots and oh, were, yeah. They were smelted to death? Smelted to death. So a smelting pot, right, is just full of molten lead. Oh my God. Yeah. So it's pretty much the most horrible death you can imagine. Uh, it's not a, not a safe place, probably an early 19th, an early 20th century. Is um, there not a railing? Bullet factory. I'm just stuck on being smelted to death. Yeah. Well, How'd they fall in? Maybe it's Star Wars policy. Maybe there's no railings on anything. <laughs> That's smart. Very smart. Uh, I think it probably goes without saying that uh, Remington made uh, guns and bullets used by the U.S. military in um, both World Wars, but especially in World War II. And um, in the lead-up to that war, the uh, factory had maybe its most... Um, deadly and tragic accident uh it was a saturday march 29th in 1942 oh, my birthday yes that's exactly correct <laughs> yay it, and it was a particularly auspicious so caroline you'll find this interesting a particularly auspicious birthday for you that day when there was an explosion and 80 employees were injured mm. and seven died what exploded that i haven't been able to find in in any of my research mm. Just that there was an explosion in the factory. That's that's all the headlines uh, told me that I could look up. Um, anyway, so so there were accidents in this factory's history, but also um, obviously, and this is kind of you get into this with the Winchester House lady yep. and stuff like that. There is this idea that um, Remington made their their main product uh, killed uh, millions of people over the course of uh, over the course of this factory's existence and uh, it's got to be some bad juju yeah do those do the spirits of those people haunt and torment the factory as it stands there today mm. uh, and indeed there are reports uh, over time ever since this factory closed which again is only the last really couple of decades um, but reports of uh, shadowy figures uh seen in the windows uh people who walk e alone in this uh factory at night are said to hear voices uh, now i gotta assume that it's uh, like illegal to trespass at night and yes. people will call the police on you things like that yes it is it's private property you can't trespass there um I would be less worried about the police uh, and and less worried about guards. More and, about broken glass and vagrants. Yeah, vagrants. It would be my main thing. I, I think um, I would tend to think, and this might be my I might be showing my skeptic a little bit here. <laughs> I would tend to think that the voices people hear at Remington and the shadowy figures that are seen in the windows are probably junkies a lot of the time. Squatters. Squatters and junkies. Yeah. Mm. So that's all that I've been able to find research-wise about the, the haunting or supposed haunting at Remington Arms Factory. Mm -hmm. So the only other thing we have to go on, and this is, I think, a feature, not a bug, is Ghost Adventures. 
our old friend Zach Bagans uh, visited Ghost uh, for an episode of Ghost Adventures. Visited the Remington Arms plant mm-hmm. uh, back in 2015. Okay. And let me tell you, I dove into this episode and uh, I had a good old time with it. Definitely, uh, the boys caught some well, some interesting evidence. Uh, and even when they first show up. This is I gave, I brought I brought a couple of clips for you, Caroline. Oh, that's very exciting. When they first show up, the Remington Arms factory immediately makes it clear that this they, this isn't going to be a normal overnight stay. <laughs> Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics, and in turn, make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads. But this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. You know, there are, there are a few things as entertaining as classic ghost adventures. Before Zach gets the glasses and the... Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's, that's new age ghost adventures. This is the, the real raw stuff. Raw, uncut ghost adventures. Mm-hmm. And just Zach Bagans turning to the camera and explaining what goosebumps are. <laughs> this can happen to your body when you feel spiritual energy sometimes. Like everyone watching didn't read the books as a child. Yeah, so like sees the guy pointing to his arm and he goes like, what, what is that happening to his arm? What is this new evidence? It's all bumpy. <laughs> uh, yeah, their camera battery died. Mm. Uh, as a as a news photographer, sometimes it is. Uh, I would love to be able to go out in the field and forget to bring batteries. And when your battery dies, you just go like, "Well, that's great. It means we saw what we were hoping to see. It's just a whole bunch of ghosts out there, guys." It'd be nice to be able to blame ghosts in those situations. Absolutely, absolutely, <laughs> it would. So then, our friends, the ghost adventurers, they head to uh, Stratford, my hometown, to talk to John Zaffis. Now, John. Uh, we've talked about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know John Zaffis. Uh, his son Chris and I went to high school together. I was friends with him in high school. Um, and they had a show on Travel Channel called The Haunted Collector. Oh, you don't have to tell me that. That's an old favorite of mine. Yeah, because John, he collects, his, his basement is like a paranormal museum that he will bring you to and, and show you around. So he, jealous. Anyway, they go to John. It feels like a backdoor pilot for uh, the Haunted Collector because this is before that, but tra- it's Travel Channel, and they go to him. He basically, uh, Zach brings him a few bullets from the uh, Remington factory, and he goes, "We believe these may have been manufactured in the Remington Arms factory, which may be cursed." <laughs> what can you tell us about these? Are these trigger objects? And he goes, "Well, they might be." Uh, and what I would do is bring them back to the place where the haunting is, and it might trigger something. So he basically says, says "Just bring these back to." Didn't they just bring them from the factory? Yeah, just bring them back where you found them. Maybe you'll <laughs> see something. Maybe you won't. Um, 
but but here you go. So so it feels like Travel Channel just trying to give John a little little zhuzh before a little uh, airtime. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, but anyway, that aside, uh, it's time to get into the lockdown because the Ghost Adventurers have some stuff to check up on, including those rumors about the explosion in 1942 possibly having been sabotage. Let's take a listen. Were you a Nazi spy? Did we get that right? Give us a noise. If you're a Nazi spy, give us a noise. Guys, let's go out here. Come on. <laughs> what are they expecting? Like, <laughs> this ghost is going to be like, see Kyle. Oh, Hitler. <laughs> Goose-stepping ghosts. Um, yeah, they didn't find any, any Nazi spy ghosts, unfortunately. Oh. Um, but they did capture some audio evidence. Uh, and we are going to have to take a listen to this because it is oh so compelling. Sure. Who's right, over there? So you're making noises for us. Can you do something else? Oh, that was it. Yeah, that was it. Oh. Okay. So are you compelled or... Wait, hold on. Let's try it again. <laughs> Who's right, over there? So you're making noises for us. Uh, what do you think? I I can't say I'm compelled. It's pretty good, though, right? You didn't you missed it. on the screen. It does say unexplained banging. In case you were wondering what that was. <laughs> There's a lot of unexplained banging in the Melonhead story. Uh, that's true. <laughs> that's very true. Unfortunately, now of course, Carrie, after hearing of those. Portuguese workers going on strike and that mm-hmm. uh, that poor man being uh, hurt. You, you'll be glad to know that Zach and the crew did take these spirits to task for some of their uh, regrettable behaviors in life. Okay. One of them, 18-year-old Frank Monty, was bludgeoned to death by wooden batons of the factory guards. Are you going to bash my skull in? Because I'm on strike. We're your workers. All three of us are on strike. What are you going to do about it? Were you a spy who died? Were you a spy who died in the explosion because you created the explosion? (laughs) So are they... Are they guards or are they spies? Well, they could be either. Guard spies? You want to cover all your bases. You can't see these ghosts, so you're going to want to... Hey, maybe they're guards, maybe they're spies. 23 minutes and 31 seconds after we left the building, our static night vision camera in the hallway captured this strange light, and at the same time, this unexplained voice is heard. That's a dog. That's a dog barking outside. Poe definitely makes noises like that. There's no question. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's he... a small dog barking in the street. No, 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 no. Here, listen to it again with enhanced audio. Oh, okay, it's a louder dog barking in the street. No, it's an unexplained voice. It says so right on the screen. It's saying help. What? Okay. <laughs> what? <laughs> can you make can you make the sound of this? No. No, absolutely not. That just shows your inexperience in these matters. You know what it sounds like is the turtle that sounds like Owen Wilson. Oh. Wow. Yes. It does sound like that. Alright, one more time. One more time. We debunked this. It's a dog. Wow. Wow. 
Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> um, at one point, they also do catch a car backfiring. <laughs> it's a gun, Sean. Uh, Bridgeport police. They say Zach tells us in an ominous voice that Bridgeport police didn't report any shootings in that area of the city that night. But there were others. He doesn't say, but he <laughs> specifies that area. Oh, he God. says there were no shootings near the factory that night. Oh, but um, that is, uh, do you have any questions about the Remington Arms plant? That's uh, that's all, and Zach Bagans and I can uh, can can give you. Gosh, I think that's it. Um... I, I wouldn't recommend people go walking in there after dark. Uh, but again, that's more because it's a bad neighborhood, and mm-hmm. it's definitely full of um, homeless people, squatters, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that is that scary? Yes, it's the, you know, overwhelming kind of dread and existential terror that uh, uh, real poverty might put in your heart. But sure. uh, but, but I, I don't know that it's scary in a supernatural way. Yeah. And that's, that's the Remington Arms plant. All right. Yeah. So if you see a shadowy figure in the windows, they're probably living there for the night. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or are they living there for the rest of time? Or it could be Zach Bagans back to shoot a sequel. That would be great. That would be great. Yeah, so I think uh, we're going to break these up, just how um, time has kind of plotted out. Yeah, so... yeah. Th- this is looking like uh, we, we, we planned uh, three topics each for this, so I guess we're just going to break them into a couple of episodes. Yeah. Um, because this went, uh, well, your research for the Melonheads was so good for such a silly story. Well, I wanted it to be good. It, I mean... And it was very good. Uh, and now, um, what's, our, uh, what's our news segment this week, Carrie? It's me and my boo. Last month, several news outlets picked up the story that reports of paranormal activity skyrocketed during COVID-19 stay-at-home orders. On CBSN Los Angeles, we saw the great sentence, believers say that they have no way to keep themselves socially distanced from the spirit world. (laughs) Which I guess is probably accurate if you're haunted by the clingy type of specter. Mm-hmm. Jason Hawes of Taps and Ghost Nation fame has the reason view that, quote, people are spending more time in their home and everything. The wood is drying out. You're getting popping sounds because we're getting into the warmer months of the year. And he doesn't feel that everything that's being reported to his Atlantic Paranormal Society website is more than just that. The New York Times even got in on the action, interviewing a man plagued by rattling doorknobs, shaking blinds, and spectral footsteps in quarantine. Ooh. And John E.L. Tenney, a paranormal researcher and former host of the TV show Ghost Stalkers. Oh. Is that like Ghost Beaters? <laughs> yes. Uh, he estimates that he received two to five reports of a haunted house each month in 2019, but lately it's been more like five to ten a week. Wow. Tenney also noted that in 1999, immediately before Y2K, he noticed a spike in reported ghost and poltergeist activity, as well as in UFO sightings, which, in his experience, are also on the rise at this very moment. Quote, it does seem to have something to do with our heightened state of anxiety, our hypervigilance, he said. So, anxiety? No! (laughs) Right now, I don't see why. (laughs) All right, so so there's a lot more uh, there's a lot more paranormal activity uh, happening, but but even paranormal people say it's probably just your imagination. There's a lot more being reported. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's your imagination or not, I don't know. But either way, we're home a lot more. So either we're noticing more 
weird sounds or we're noticing more paranormal activity. Who knows? Let me hit you with this. At least here in Connecticut, uh, home prices are going way up because people are moving out of the city. So maybe just with home values rising, people feel more comfortable disclosing this, uh, <laughs> the paranormal uh, spirits running around their homes because yeah, they're maybe. not worried about property value. I know that in like five to ten years down the road with all these city folk coming into the suburbs and moving into these old New England homes, we're going to get a lot of good ghost stories out of it either way. Because <laughs> that's, that's how great... every ghost yes. story starts. Yes, you're right. Hopefully some of them have temperamental teenage daughters. Yeah. Got to have those poltergeists in there. In our Bizarre Bazaar, we report on the conclusion of the decade-long Forest Fen treasure hunt. For those not as in the know on the topic of eccentric old men making people search for buried treasure, Forest Fen kicked off the hunt for Fen's treasure with the 2010 publication of his memoir, The Thrill of the Chase wherein he claimed he'd hidden a chest packed with gold, jewels, and rare artifacts somewhere in the Rocky Mountains. Oh, I love this guy. Yeah, he's, 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 he's fun. Uh, he left clues to its whereabouts in a poem within the book that he had also written, so that's very cute. Can we hear the poem? Uh, sure. It's not short. <laughs> As I have gone alone in there, and with my treasures bold, I can keep my secret where... And hint of riches new and old. Taking a while to get to it. Yeah. Begin it where warm waters halt and take it in the canyon down. Not far, but too far to walk. Put it below the home of Brown. <laughs> okay. So Put it's, it below it's the a, ass. It, yep. <laughs> From there, it's no place for the meek. The end is ever drawing nigh. There'll be no paddle up your creek. Just heavy loads and water high. I'm still thinking it's a butt. Well, I, I'm trying to follow the path with my finger here, and I'm halfway up my left testicle. Okay, let's let's keep the fingers away. If you've been wise and found the blaze, look quickly down your quest to cease. Um, but Terry scant with Marvel gaze. Just take the chest and go in peace. Marvel gaze. Marvel. It's at Robert Downey's house. <laughs> Most treasures are. So why is it that I must go and leave my trove for all to seek? The answer is I already know. I've done it tired, and now I'm weak. So hear me all and listen good. Your effort will be worth the cold. If you are brave and in the wood, I give you title to the gold. So that was the poem that was in his memoir. Since he published his memoir in 2010, hundreds of thousands of people have searched for Fenn's treasure, creating online communities and enacting countless on-the-ground expeditions. In fact, at least five people have died in pursuit of the treasure. Wow. Five. And numerous people have also needed to be rescued during ill-prepared searches over the years. Law enforcement officials even tried to convince Fenn to call off the hunt multiple times, <laughs> and he repeatedly refused to do so. What a guy! I know, he's a lot of fun. Uh, apparently, it wasn't all for naught, as the treasure supposedly really did exist and was discovered in early June. Fenn stated of the discovery, quote, When the finder found and retrieved the treasure, other searchers wondered how close they had been to the right spot. Though the finder wished to remain anonymous to the frustration of fellow searchers, Fenn said... The finder understands how important some closure is for many searchers, so today he agreed that we should reveal that the treasure was found in Wyoming. 
He, That's it? <laughs> yeah. You son of a bitch. Mm -hmm. He also said the finder was someone he didn't know, and that the poem had led the finder to the exact location. But it remains to be seen whether the general public will ever know the exact location as well. Wow. Uh, listeners, if you're really good at riddles... Well, no, it was found. It's gone. I know, but get at us and tell us where. <laughs> For sure. I would be interested to see what people think, especially now that they know it's at least narrowed down to Wyoming. Yeah. Big state. Huge. Okay. Uh, any other any other new business, Caroline? That's it for the first episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. And you are the titular, Carrie? And you are the titular, Sean. That's correct. Uh, you can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Ain't It Scary. Um, and please subscribe to the show and throw us a five-star review on iTunes. We will be forever grateful. Yeah, I certainly will be. I can't speak for... Uh, can I speak for you? I think you can. At least 50% of me. We'll be eternally grateful. I <laughs> and 50% of Carrie will be eternally grateful. All right, folks. See you next Tuesday. Uh, yeah. And until then, stay scary. We're going to find a sign-off. Yeah. This has been a production of Longboy Media. Yep. Uh, this show was created by Sean McCabe and Carrie Ferrante. Music by Kyle Ryan. I'm Richard Serrett. Join me on Strange Planet for in-depth conversations with the world's top paranormal investigators, alien abductees, Bigfoot trackers, monster hunters, time travelers, alternative archaeologists, remote viewers, and more. As I was on the way to Area 51, I was stopping on the side of the road and just taking measurements, and I found this one spot where time slowed down by a fraction of a second. It's not supposed to do that. From the two big categories, animal mutilations and human abductions, you have to conclude that genetic material is being harvested. Well, I reached for a rifle and uh, I, I turned and looked and it was, it was already moving away and it was descending the bluff. Uh, there's no way any human could have went down it. It was probably a 75 degree angle straight down almost. On Richard Serrett's Strange Planet, we're redefining reality. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Do not go any further. Turn around. Go home.